The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febc.org. What is this conversation having about multicultural worship? By doing that, we better equip the next generation and the current generation and say, hey, the older and the younger can commune and grow together to better lead and serve the church in musical worship. He's a young worship leader from the African continent who is learning how to serve the church, but in the process is teaching us some things. Welcome to First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and you'll meet Ayanda Kamalo in just a moment. Before we begin, though, a word of thanks to the Far East Broadcasting Company for making these conversations possible. By going to febc.org, you'll learn much more how God is using radio to proclaim His Word, make disciples, and build the church in many countries. You'll see and hear stories of people from many countries who thank you for your support. Go to febc.org. And while you're online, please visit firstpersoninterview.com for more about today's guest, as well as an archive of past interviews, all online at firstpersoninterview.com. Ayanda Kamala was with us. He's from Zimbabwe. He's in this country for graduate studies at Moody Bible Institute. As a talented musician and worship leader, Ayanda is particularly interested in effectively leading the body of Christ in praise and worship in a way that unites us. We'll get to that in a moment, but I started our conversation by asking him to describe his life growing up. I grew up um, in a family of six, my mom and my dad, two older brothers were twins and a younger sister, and we are a former British colony. So there are a lot of British nuances within who we are in Mm -hmm. our culture. I'm from the Ndebele tribe, which originally is from Durban, South Africa, and we live in the um, second largest city, Bluel which actually means the city of kings. So that plays into my family name and being part of the Ndebele tribe, Ndebele clan. How does it play into your family name? So we are from the Ndebele clan, um, the people. So we're the royal family of that. And we are are kind of part of the Zulu kingdom in a sense. Well, I knew you were a prince of a guy, but now now it's been confirmed. (laughs) So it's so... That has played into the way, one, I've seen myself, how I've viewed myself growing up, and some of the cultural pressures being part of that royalty in a sense. Mm-hmm. So there's this, you know, the heavenly, you know, kingdom family thing, and then there's this earthly cultural clan thing. Okay. Being royalty in both those aspects. And that has played a lot into who I am and how I carry myself in certain things. So family of six— um, is this a Christian family? Yes, to a degree. In terms of, my mom took us to church, Seventh Day Adventist. Um, all our lives, my both my parents went to a missionary school schools as well. I went to a um, my middle school. We call it primary school. Was um, non denominational Christian school, and then the high school I went to had. Non-denominational, but Anglican influence. Okay. So, would, they wouldn't so call you, it, you knew all this stuff, but when did it become real for you? When did Christ become real? So at the age of 12, my brother used to go to a summer camp. Um, and the summer camp was attended by a lot of young people from the ages of 12 to 18, 13 to 18. So I kind of jumped the gun and went in earlier. <laughs> but 
it was because my brothers played a big role in just kind of showing Christ more tangibly. Okay. We went to church with my mom on Saturdays, but I was still young. Uh-huh. But then they were the ones who exposed me to, you know, reading the Bible, Bible studies, and the summer camp. And that became like, oh, okay, if this is happening, this is going on, um, what does it truly mean? So the summer camp, that's when at uh, the age of 12, I accepted Christ as my Lord and personal Savior, but still at that point hadn't really dived really deep mm-hmm. into it. That was when I graduated from prim- primary school and then went to high school. And the high school is kind of where things really came alive because okay. even though it was a all boys military British boarding school type of thing, like we wore uniforms, we made our beds with the hospital corner is and counterpane. Right? Wow, you went the whole nine yards, huh? As we would say, <laughs> yeah, pretty much it. So and and in that there were a lot of Christian groups in this all boys school, which is. Um, if, you, if people read up about British history and, you know, boarding school boys, a lot of those things were being played out there. But the, Christ, the Christ, Christians in that environment came alive and it, was, it had to become real. It had to become practical, but Good. it had to be a witness. Good. And there are some people who say they're Christians, but their actions didn't show it. Mm-hmm. But for a majority who said, I believe, it was a testing ground. So within that space, it was reading the Bible prayer every Thursday morning. We had uh, morning prayers every Thursday morning. The school was required to go to chapel three times a week. Tuesdays, Wednesday was hymn, hymn practice, <laughs> and then Thursday was another chapel. Okay. So well, Tuesday, it's pretty Thursday remarkable chapel. for a young man to have that kind of commitment that you had. So, so I, I wouldn't say I fell in love with hymns, <laughs> but then Wednesday nights we had a weekly like a contemporary service that the school, the, the school boys led that, and then okay. we brought in an outside speaker. So there was, and then we had study, Bible study groups on Sunday, led by students. Okay. We're going to get to the music part of yeah, who you are yeah. in a few moments, but that, those were the roots of it there? A lot, a lot of it. Those are the formative years where I ended up leading the Christian leaders who then would run the Bible studies in the different houses and floors. And that was a real training ground personally for me. It was like I had to know who God was. Yes, I had personal things I was going through. My parents were separated so I was internally processing all of this mm-hmm. that's happening, but in the same breath, God was saying, you know, you need to get to know me as you work through home challenges, but also leading these people in, in coming to know me as the Lord yeah. and personal Savior. Sports was a big part of your high school yes. experience too, wasn't it? <laughs> um, God op- So there's so many doors God opened in terms <laughs> of sports. I played rugby, uh, basketball. Um, and soccer, football. I call it football, but... Yeah, soccer, yeah, we know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then at the age of 15, I had a very bad rugby injury. So someone with landed on my spinal column in cleats. Mm. So I was on a backboard for eight hours, and I was told no contact, no contact sports for the rest of my life. So I still played. So I sh- shifted from playing rugby, just focusing on, on football, soccer, and basketball, and through the grace of God and just practice, I was able to represent my country for basketball for three years consecutively. But then the last year of high school, um, I switched and played rugby to the— Couldn't get it out of your system, huh? To the joy of my mother. I bet, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just by the grace of God and his—it's it's a testimony. 
I was able to make the school team, kind of like American football team mm-hmm, here. I, was, mm-hmm. I made the, the, the starting 15. I went on to represent my province, which is like a state. And then I represent the country. And then we went to the World Cup the following year. So I played at a World Cup for rugby for my country and also playing bas- basketball at the same time. You must have been very good. <laughs> I, well. <laughs> you're, you're too modest to say. <laughs> it, and it, it's, it, it was a testimony for a lot of people to go from a very bad back injury and not play contact sports and, my, and going to physiotherapy for three years to then get told, hey, you know, this is this you can move on and play that. Yeah. So after the World Cup, I was offered a couple of contracts and I just felt God was saying, no, this is not the season. So you did not play professionally? I, in terms of the World Cup, after the World Cup, no. Okay. And I had a couple of, I had three professional offers, but just this, where I was and what God was saying. That's well, that's not. remarkable to me because I think anybody who, I mean, I, I don't know a lot about rugby, but what I've seen of rugby, it's far more violent and, and rough <laughs> than, than American football. There's not as much padding. Right. And it's in the same way, the lifespan of an American football player is probably 10 years, give or take if he's lucky, 15, depending on the position. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with rugby. So it was that and the reality of my body, I've torn enough muscles in my, my body and I still live with some of the injuries post that. But it was at a crossroads where God was saying, if you go play rugby, you will get all this, the fame and fortune and, and money and, and the exposure to life and the nightlife. Mm-hmm. But spiritually, would you, you would really, really suffer. Well, that was wise to understand that early in life. It was hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But in, in the same time, our country was going through a meltdown. Did you have adults to speak into your life about these things? One or two people I sat down and, and I just said, from a, from a uh, spiritual perspective, what, what do you see? Because um, through life's experiences, I think I, I've, God has really tenderized my heart to be really, really sensitive to people and, and what's going on. So does and and that's that nothing on me. That's all him, um, and part of the culture. It was stop, pause. What do you guys think? Do you think this is something that's good? And then I've always thought this is the way I kind of see things. If two or three people speak to me about the exact same thing, independent of each other, mm-hmm. God is saying something to me. And it was something in that case was yeah. like. Do you believe this is where I need to be? No, no, no. Okay. But you know a lot of people, young people, old people too, yeah. are, are headstrong <laughs> and, and, and don't listen, particularly when there's the lure of you know professional sports. I mean, yeah. that's, that's a pretty strong temptation, I would think. <laughs> I will admit, I'm also headstrong. I'm a strong-willed person. So it was, it, was, it was God who was just like, poor stop, this isn't the big picture. There's a bigger picture, and this is not – this is not for you. This is not the journey I want you to go. There's other people I will use in, in, in the sports world as my believers will testify in that space. Yeah. <laughs> we'll continue to get to know this young man, Ayanda Kamalo, coming up next here on First Person Stay With Us. Listening to your station is my first priority when I get home. Sometimes I even listen twice. First on the radio and then through the internet. Thank you for all your hard work. The Far East Broadcasting Company receives millions of responses each year from grateful listeners. FEBC is dedicated to taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. To learn more, please visit febc.org. 
That's febc.org. The Far East Broadcasting Company, until all have heard. My guest is Ayanda Kamalo. Uh, Ayanda is a young man from Zimbabwe who has been studying at Moody Bible Institute, yeah. and we're actually in the studios of Moody Radio now. <laughs> so thanks to Moody Radio for making this uh, studio available to us today. You're now in graduate school. Yes. What brought you to America? So I, I've been traveling the world doing music, music ministry, just the privilege of serving the church in that capacity. And it's about over 10 years ago, um, had opportunity to be on the road across the USA from the East Coast to the West Coast to the South, um, leading musical worship in different churches and different conferences, different retreats. And that became an annual thing for three years. Is three months on the road, nonstop. Go, 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 go. It was a form of education, I would imagine, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and it was exposure. Was I ate some of the most craziest food, <laughs> some of the most unhealthiest food, <laughs> slept in some of the most uncomfortable positions, on couches, on the floor. And it was, but as part of life. But you're smiling about it today. <laughs> It's a life on the road. Everyone thinks, oh, tour bus and all these things and, and, and being on the road. And it's like, yes, for the first two weeks, then it's just like, no, hotel food. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but I started to recognize at that point, because I was already traveling across Africa doing this, teaching on musical worship and all that, that this is part of what God had called me to do. Mm-hmm. And being on the road was part of it. So opportunity came to come study at Moody Bible Institute. Um, and, and through various circumstances, God opened that door. So I ended up at Moody, but walking in, my primary focus was, yes, I'm here to learn, but I'm also here to serve the, the, the Moody community and those outside of it. It wasn't more so, okay, I'm just here to, 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 to take, take, take. Yeah. I'm here. God's given me something. What a to great give. perspective. Sure. So coming in, that was it. And, and through just various Spaces, the Moody Missions Conference, Founders Week, um, and different ministries outside, God just said, okay, here you are. I'm going to pour into you so you can pour into everyone else. And Missions Conference was an eye-opener my first year, first semester. We served in that capacity doing multicultural music, multicultural worship, and then uh, Founders Week as well. And these are spaces where Different spaces I've never been able to be in and serve. I did a conference um, a couple of years ago um, where it was a women's conference serving in music. And there's like 10,000 women in that space. And I was just like, whoa. Yeah. Well, when you have those kind of opportunities, why stick with the education? And why go through your undergrad work and now your graduate work mm-hmm. when you could be out there <laughs> Doing what you're you're eventually being called to do. to do. Yeah, I I think you never stop learning. You never stop growing. And and I, I wouldn't say I'm a bookworm. I'm far from it. But to be able to better serve the church, there are certain nuggets that I think we need to attain as much as we can. Yeah. And 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 that goes on until the day that Christ comes or Christ calls us home. There's always something we're constantly learning. And and I know a lot of great musicians have said that. The day you stop learning is the, is the day things start to go downhill. Mm-hmm. So I know there's probably going to be, there are tons of puns upon men and women who are better skilled in music than I am, who have better voices, who have got better things in different perspectives. But knowing that 
there's certain things that God has called me specifically for, and I need to refine and work that which God has given me so that it's better refined to better serve the church. Well, we had a conversation a few months ago where it was obvious that God was still still kind of shaping you and helping yep. you understand this thing about worship and yep. how to approach worship. So you're, you're, <laughs> you're still uh, being molded, aren't you? Yes. And I think, and I, I'm going to put myself out there. I, I think when the day someone says they know it all. Oh, boy. In terms of leading musical worship, yeah. that's the day when pride is kicked in. Yeah. And it's no longer, what's the Holy Spirit leading me in? And that's the submission. That's the obedience. That's the, I, there's the unknown here, Lord. It's a, each gathering, whether it's two people or 5,000 people, I don't know it. I don't know it all. I have the certain skill sets, but I don't know what's going to happen in this moment. Mm. So tell me where you are right now. When, when you stand up in front of 50 people <laughs> yeah. or 500 people or 10,000 women at that conference, yeah. what are you seeking to do as a worship leader? I'm a conductor, period. So, and, and it's exciting because all I, my, my, some of my philosophy is find the key that's appropriate for everyone and Start the song. So you're not performing. No. You, you want to lead others. I'm leading others. Okay. So it means that if, if I'm making, I'm, I'm creating a space and environment that people feel comfortable to express themselves emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, and through singing. Mm-hmm. So it means that I start the right, find the right key that everyone collectively can join in, find the appropriate songs that are biblically sound theologically it's very important yeah. isn't it i so know those, how important that is to you yeah so all those factors are at play the genre or the style of music is, is not important yes the context will adapt but i think those are the critical god I, I i from my perspective god's not really wound up and caught up in what style of music no it's about is it about me is it for me are our hearts pure and right before him when we do it then we're in the we're in the we're in the best place. Yeah. We can do jazz, reggae, pop, <laughs> or just a piano and an organ. We do it with excellence, but that's not a primary focus. So by doing those things, I then started and then encouraged people to take on the song, take on what they're singing. And then then after that I get out the way. I see it and, and, and Michael and I remember we're talking about yeah, this. We had this conversation with Michael Card. Yeah. Yes. I'm the best man at a wedding. <laughs> no one remembers the best man. I get out of the way. The church and, and the king engage and commune together. Mm. And I'm just there. I partake in this, this, this gathering, this service, but it's not about me. I'm out of the equation. Yeah. And I sit that like that. Whether it's two people, me and one person in a room, or whatever the number of people are, the focus should never be about me. And people should walk away Christ being the number one thing and not me. So refreshing to hear you say that, Ayanda. Are you a man with a foot on two continents? Yes. What, what, <laughs> what are your thoughts about that? Uh, are you taking this back to Zimbabwe and other countries in Africa? Are you, are you planning to stay here? What, what do you think? How the, how's the Lord going to lead you? Man, I, I have an open hand. I, I'm, I have the privilege of traveling the world doing this. And my heart is for the global church. So I'm, 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 I'm able to pour into the local church back home with the things that I learn as I travel 
and, and pour into people here in the USA that people interact with, especially in the music ministry, mm-hmm. and have deeper conversations with people already leading in, in their churches in musical ministry and say, hey, what, what are your thoughts about this? Have we thought about this? What is this conversation having about multicultural worship? So by doing that, we better equip the next generation of music worship leaders and the current generation and say, hey, the older and the younger can commune and grow together to better lead and serve the the church and musical worship. Mm -hmm. So geographical location isn't isn't (laughs) the top of my list right now. But I'm sure you miss family and home. Oh, oh, yes, I do. But at the same breath, I look at how Christ traveled and, you know— he had a rock to laser. He's like itinerant. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Is wherever God calls me is where I will go. Mm. And if it's if God says, you know, I want you six months here and six months in Africa or six months, that's that's up to him. He's my manager. He'll deal with those logistics. <laughs> yeah. But I need to focus on what I need to be focused on. Right. I need to stay in my lane. Yeah. Yeah. And someday, as Christ tarries, you're going to look back on this experience and you'll <laughs> see how this was all preparing you and shaping you and putting you in 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 front of the right people as mm. friends you know to to enhance your ministry down the road you understand that i i think and i love spending time with people who've lived way longer than me because it there's, there's so many gems to take away and and constantly grow yeah. and whatever i can pass on i'm passing on um so spending time with you and or some of the other guys not necessarily in music, but in just life and ministry. Mm-hmm. Those are things we constantly need to be like, there's always a le- something to be learned when we interact with someone else. What am I doing? How am I opening up myself and say, God, speak to me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to put information on our website, yep. uh, including uh, some new <laughs> things you've been doing musically. Just say a brief word about what you've done recently. So I just had the privilege of releasing two live um, albums called Hear the Church Live and Hear the Church Hymns Live. And all it is, is actually, the title says it, Hearing the Church Congregationally Sing. Um, I'm not the lead vocalist. It's (laughs) 3,000 plus voices. But they're able to facilitate that. So it's on pre-order right now on iTunes, and it becomes available for full purchase on February the 1st. Okay. It'll be available by the time this is heard. Are those hymns the same hymns you were singing back in boarding school? <laughs> some of them. Some <laughs> the of them. ones that you— uh... Some of them are that I was like, wow. But the, my favorite hymn is Guide Me With Our Great Jehovah. Oh, yeah. That's a—oh, but it's sadly it's not on this project— but that that day will come. I will. I will. <laughs> well, you can't help but get excited with Ayanda as he talks about music and worship. On our website, firstpersoninterview.com, we'll put additional information about this young man and the music project he mentioned, which is just being released. His name is Ayanda Kumalo. Please check it out at firstpersoninterview.com. This interview is made possible by the Far East Broadcasting Company, a radio ministry, and more, reaching millions of people with a message of the gospel and the teaching of God's Word, always in the local language. Learn more about how to support and pray for FEBC when you visit febc.org. If you joined us late in the conversation today, you can hear the whole program again online at firstpersoninterview.com. More than that, you can listen to any past interview we've done. And if you'd like to download any interview for listening later in your car or at the gym, please look for our free smartphone app, First Person Interview, in your app store. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for listening and join us again for First Person.